Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. This is going to be an episode that is going to change your life. I promise you, super excited to have on the show today. September, okay, Frogly. September, I kind of sent you a message when I heard the last name. I was like, man, that's you and your friends have these just super unique names. We are missing Wendy. Wendy was going to be on the show today too. Please, Wendy, know that we, we love and care about you and we hope that things are going on perfectly, but I know September can pass on this information. September, let me introduce you, if you don't mind. You are the founder, the founding member, I'm sure there's other women, other people involved in this that have some big backbone in it, but you are the founder of Connection is the Cure, which is a nonprofit 501c3. So we don't have our 501c3 status yet, but we have our like initial portion of our nonprofit set up. We've applied for that and it's in the process. It's a process for sure, especially the way the federal government works. They're not always the fastest. I get it. I went through the process. This is uh, in regarding to the Sage Memorial Foundation, correct? Yes. Okay, good. So connection is the cure. Do you mind, like, can you talk about what it is, how it came about, and where you're moving forward to? Yeah, definitely. We lost my younger brother um, at the age of 34 this last May of 2021 to suicide after a rigorous battle of mental illness that um, graduated into substance abuse. And after losing him, it was really apparent that we needed to do something. Like we just saw so many, you know, overloaded system, just so many people falling through the cracks. And so it was this feeling that I had that I, I just couldn't sit still. Like it was this like ADHD feeling inside of me that was like, you got to get moving. You got to, you got to go. That is not really my personality. Like I am more of an introvert, more like, uh, just easygoing. And, um, my brother that passed Robert was so tenacious and so persistent. And I really feel like a lot of that energy that I was feeling was coming from him. Like he had such a strong desire to help others. He was, um, a nurse by profession. I really felt like he was pushing me like, you got to go. You got to get to work. There's so many people out there that need help. There's so many people's stories that could end differently if they can have help and find the resources that they need. So, so September, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you really quick. Cause you said a couple of things in there that I want to hit on because we're all going through this growing pains. We're in Arizona. You're in Boise, Idaho, right? Is it Boise or you're outside? So we're just outside of Boise and Meridian. Okay. And when you say that we're seeing people falling through the cracks, oh my gosh, let's, I do this on a daily basis. I go out there and I, I work with men and I have a ten initiative called Take 10 Initiative where take 10 minutes of your day and go connect with someone who's struggling. In addiction, someone that's recovering, we all need that support, right? And I'm telling you, I have gone up through the chain of command in the city or in the state of Arizona and all I get is red flags, black holes. And it's like, I, and I'm somebody that's tenacious, you know what? I got a big mouth and I'm ready to talk about it. Let's go. I've recovered from it. I'm almost 12 years sober. And it's like, people listen. And to them, to them, it doesn't matter. They're overwhelmed, overworked. 
understaffed, and it comes down to attitude. And I understand that. So September, what black holes or what hurdles were you facing trying to get some help? The state of Idaho has exploded, and especially our area. So I think that um, we are in just this really hard situation where there's just not enough room for everyone that needs help. My brother, towards the end of his life, did find an amazing recovery center called Brick House Recovery that Jason Coombs runs. And I, I wish he could have found that center earlier. I think that they did some amazing work with him, and he loved it there. He really felt at home. We ran into a lot of hurdles as far as like the hospital goes, having him in the hospital on ODs and um, suicide attempts and not really being able to address his mental health. Just if he was physically healthy, it was like, okay, we've done our job. Let's get him out the door. That was rough. That was really rough. I'm, I'm a hopeful person. And towards the end of his life, I really did start losing some hope in, in the system. But, you know, I've come to realize that I can't change the system. I can't change everything. But by involving the community and being proactive, I think we can help close that gap between and with early intervention, you know, like, like people that are struggling, they don't necessarily need a clinician or, you know, a professional at that moment to help them. They may just need that connection with a friend or a community member or, you know, someone knowing that they're supported and that they're not alone. I think that's the whole purpose of Connection is the Cure is making those connections and trying to close that gap before people get to the point where they need that professional help. So would you say explosion? Are you guys experiencing the explosion with fentanyl like we are here in Arizona? Yes, that because our Boise right now is the number like number one place to move. So our housing market has exploded. There's people moving in from all over, which is amazing to see the growth. You know, I grew up here, um, but at the same time, it's bringing a lot more um, drug activity, uh, addiction rates. I, just everything is exploding with the growth, all the positive and then all of the negative. And so... You can kind of understand, you know, we have these open borders where the where the fentanyl is coming in. It's coming from China down to Mexico, up into the U.S., and it's inundating our youth right now. And I know that the reason you're creating this connection is the cure is to get some information out there. So what information are you, before we get to the event, because I think, I think this is epic. I'm so excited about it. But I want to know, like, what kind of prevention what what are you giving these individuals who are coming to the event who who are getting to know you september so i think first of all we just want to make this a space where people can come and and really connect that connectedness it builds a foundation to prevent you know suicide and addiction and um i think there are a lot of amazing resources that do exist here in our area but when you're in crisis, you're drowning. There is like no way to really be able to utilize those resources when you're in those moments of crisis. Because if if someone's not there to tell you about them, then being able to look for them is near impossible in our experience. So our whole idea is that if we can like let people know about those resources before that crisis hits, then they're armed with these tools that can help them. So we have like counseling offices that are actually taking new patients and actually 
you know, there to help. A uh, different addiction, like an addiction, like I mentioned, Brickhouse, they are participating, the police department and the suicide hotline. And we want to focus too on that whole wellness portion. So that physical portion of wellness, the mental portion of wellness. So we have like a couple local gyms that will be there representing just all the things that are kind of preventative to some of these things that we're facing and getting the national guard there and, you know, the military, the police department to kind of let community members know what's going on. And then after this, this event, we want to be able to really educate parents on what's going on with their kids. Like you mentioned with the fentanyl and the way it's affecting these kids. I saw on your Instagram the other day about fentanyl being put in vape pins. Like I get goosebumps even talking about that because I can't even imagine your child like trying a vape pen for the first time unknowingly laced with fentanyl and dying. It's blowing my mind. So I think prevention with that, looking for signs in your kids that that maybe something's not going right with their mental health, maybe signs of um, being suicidal or, you know, those kinds of things. We want to be able to educate the parents in this area on some of that stuff as well. You've given me like hours and hours of content to talk about, but what's interesting is a lot of people don't understand that fentanyl can get into a waterable, soluble state, right? And you're going to find them in visine. They're putting in visine now. They're putting in mouth... um, like drops in your mouth or put it in edible candies. And so these kids, man, they're, I mean, like you talk about playing Russian roulette, like you don't know which bullet's going to kill you. So in the back in the day, we used to talk about, well, if you're going to use, do this, this today, you have to completely talk about abstinence. Like guys, educate yourself, understand how dangerous this stuff is. And if we don't do it, nobody will. There's really no room for error anymore. And I love the fact that you're putting this on. So a couple questions I had. I love the fact that you brought up that the doctors, the mental health professionals don't understand when they saw your brother, they got him physically healthy. The problem is that's the easy part. In recovery, just think about, think about our life changes January 1st. We all want to look better. We all want to lose weight. We all want to eat better, right? You think about it. Because it's the easiest transformation, September, if I look better, people look at me and say, ah, he's healthy. The the other problem is, what about my physical, spiritual, and mental health? And so it's always the question, what comes first? Does the addiction fuel the mental health or does the mental health fuel the addiction? And really, the answer is, who cares? The problem is we have these dual diagnoses, and here in Arizona, if you don't meet certain criterias, you can't come in the facility. If you have a substance abuse without mental illness, you can't come. And it's almost like these men and women have to hurdle, and they have to lie to be able to get into treatment that they desperately need. I don't know. Did you ever face that? Yeah, 100%. So the last time... um that my brother went to like an inpatient rehab facility. So his inpatient rehab facilities that he had attended before were in Tennessee where he lived before he moved back to Idaho. Um, And the last time that he entered a facility in Idaho, he did, he worked for a few weeks trying to, to get in. And it's crazy because he was very intelligent, well-educated, 
And like I said, super persistent, but, and he happened to be sober during that time. He had just come off of a long run of using and realized, you know, that he really needed to get some help. And he completely pushed himself into this rehab facility because I think they probably got annoyed with him (laughs) and they finally were just like, okay, let's go. You know, he had to not be fully honest about his mental health diagnosis in the end. It's a little foggy, but he, uh, went into, um, like a state of psychosis that induced from his drug use that induced a, um, schiz- like a schizophrenic break, even with sobriety suffered from that, that schizophrenia. So he couldn't be honest about that part of his diagnosis to be able to get into that treatment facility. As far as I know, I mean, that was what was going on. Do you mind, September, tell us a little about, bit about your brother. I, I know that uh, I've read up on him. I've got to watch some videos of him playing guitar. Um, I know that he passed away the, um, May 9th of 2021, so it's, it's fresh. And uh, tell me a little bit about Robert, if you don't mind, because I think what you're going to tell us is you're going to shine light on our brothers and sisters, and, and we all, we see this. So the whole, the whole thing with Robert that's so probably similar to so many people's stories is if this could happen to him, it could happen to anyone. Like we grew up in a really loving home, really strong in our church and our beliefs of like God and, and that, that peace and comfort. And that, you know, that comes with that spiritual side of things. My parents were just amazing. They are amazing people, loving, accepting. They were like old hippies. We lived in a teepee when we were little, they love everyone. So Robert always struggled a little bit as a child. He just was very high energy. I think now, nowadays he probably would have had some diagnosis of like attention deficit or, you know, something. And he struggled with OCD and perfectionism. He really found a lot of awesome outlets growing up. He uh, was an awesome athlete, um, super intelligent, skipped a grade in elementary, hoping that it would, uh, make him less bored in school. Like he'd be able to like be challenged a little bit more. Didn't really work, but, and he was an awesome athlete, all state football player, wrestler, basketball, baseball, you name it. He was like very adventurous, um, very, uh, thrill seeking. He loved that adrenaline. So he was always kind of doing crazy things, uh, growing up that probably would get a lot of kids into trouble nowadays. He learned a lot of coping mechanisms, his athletics. He was in high school. He learned to um, play the guitar and sing. We're not a musically talented family, but somehow, of course, he found a way to find talent in that area, as he did with most everything. I think he talked himself out of every speeding ticket. Every time he got pulled over, he never got a ticket. I think the police officers were just like, okay, just go. Like, we're tired of talking to you. He probably should have been a lawyer. He was amazing and he had this really strong desire to serve people. He he loved people and he loved service. And I think he did a two-year uh, service mission to Guayaquil, Ecuador for our church. And um, I think that was like the happiest time of his life. His mind just seemed to be clear and calm during that time. And I remember him transitioning to being home and just being so heartbroken over the excess that we have here in the U.S. I think living, he did not care ever about material things. So I think that he was just so happy in Ecuador in that environment and with the people that he was serving. 
And I think that as, as life went on and, and stressors, you know, got heavier and he got married and had four beautiful children that are amazing. But I think life really started to weigh on him. And and a lot of those coping mechanisms that he had had, he, he had forgotten them or, you know, wasn't using them to his advantage like he had in the past. And at that point he started self-medicating with some legal drugs, which turned into illegal drugs. And I will tell you that the turning point for him, as far as his drug use went, um, it was over a few year period was when he got into bath salts and, um, meth and he went from his own prescription stuff to heroin. And then the heroin led the last, about the last year of his life, six months to the, a year of his life turned to the bath salts and the, the meth. And that was the beginning of the end. Once he started using that, it was, I've never experienced something so evil as those drugs. It took the light out of him. There were days, there were some days where I didn't even, I didn't even recognize him. And as that connection started to weaken between us, there was a few things that kind of held on. I could always feed him. He would always take food and music. So I think even uh, when he could not communicate with us about how he was feeling and how desperate and awful he was feeling, he could send a song that would um, communicate through that song about how he was feeling. So those are two really, really big things that I, I was still able to feel that connection with him. But those drugs, they're awful. What do you think it was about the bath salts that made him turn the light off? So I think that when he started using the bath salts for him, and I don't, I don't know all the effects of, you know, all the clinical effects that they found with bath salts, but I know for him, that's when like the voices started and it was just constant in his brain and uh, really dark stuff was going on. The paranoia set in. The people that he was associating with during that time, I think, brought a lot of darkness. I think those were the main things that really, and like I said, I mean, once he hit a certain point with those drugs where he had like used and overused them, he had that psychotic break. And I don't think that ever went away, even with like eight or nine months of sobriety in between the time he stopped using, went to treatment and the time he passed away that state of schizophrenia did not leave him. That's so hard to hear. We see those, we see the bath salts happening. I don't know if you remember, there was a, there was a case in New York City where a guy was on bath salts, police came up on him and he had a, a human being underneath him and he was eating because it does, it plays with the psycho, it affects those brain waves. I love the way you shared that, how it just turns the light off. You know, most drugs do that to us. So you're turning the light on now. You've started this business, Connection is the Cure. You have some phenomenal individuals showing up at your doorstep in December or in January. Uh, one of them is Alex Boyer. Talk to us now that we've gone a few minutes in this podcast. Tell us about this event that you and some friends conjured up, man, like you came up with. This is your idea, and you guys just it ballooned with it. I love it. Tell us how it started and what it's for. So during the month of September, which is Suicide Awareness Month and Recovery, I think Hope and Recovery Month, we started putting together care packs for people in crisis. So 
there was a few times that my brother entered either the hospital or different facilities where um, one of the times I was with him at the hospital, we got discharged at 3.30 in the morning with nothing, not a single resource in hand, nothing. Thankfully, you know, I was, I was with him, but I hated the fact that we, I didn't know what to do. We're standing in the parking lot. I have my five kids at home. My husband's coming to pick us up and we're just like standing there. He's just had an attempt on his life, just nothing. So I figured we could gather items, right? Like, and a list of resources. So we started gathering items at our local gyms. This Idaho Fitness Factory here in Idaho is a locally owned gym and they started taking donations for these packs. So it's just like general, like toiletry items, but then a list of local resources will be in these in these packs. So we started doing that. And about halfway through the month, my brother's best friend reached out to me and said, Hey, have you seen what Alex Boyer is doing in Utah? He's putting on these events. He sent me a screenshot of his Instagram post and he was putting on these events in Utah where there was like resources available, like local resources. And then he was performing a concert and he has a really passionate mission for mental health and suicide prevention. And so I reached out to him on Instagram and I was thinking like, oh, there's no way he's going to get back to me. He probably doesn't even run his own Instagram. So I, I direct message him, tell him like my whole story. I said, hey, would you be willing to come to Idaho? And he literally gets back to me in like two to three minutes. And I was shocked. So um, he kind of laid out his vision of, of what he really wants to start doing other places besides just Utah. He told me kind of how it would work and that it would need to come from grassroots promotion and, and fundraising. And they want to make these events free so people can, can just be there. So I had no idea how I was going to start. I'm not an event planner. I'm a mom and I do hair part-time. So I was like, you are now, you are an event planner now, girl. Yeah. So yeah, we just started reaching out to people in the community, like bigger businesses, uh, banks like Idaho Central Credit Union, and actually a lot of commercial development businesses, we started reaching out. And um, the response that we got from the community was mind blowing. Like it was this response that sent this message that was like, listen, we know this is an issue and we know this is a problem and we want to help, but we don't know how. So thank you for coming to us with an idea so that we can help. So it was like, I don't think I, I got a no. Like, I think we just started rolling. And, um, so once we figured out that the financial end could probably be possible and come through, uh, I pulled together just a group of ladies that, um, were friends of ours from, you know, growing up and knew Robert and they jumped on board as well. And we, we formed these little subcommittees and everyone kind of took a job and we were like off to the races. So I really do think that it's been this clear message of, we want to help. And it's, it's sad to see that you don't have to look very far to see how this has affected so many people, addiction, mental illness, suicide, all of these things hit really close to home for a lot of people. I think we just, like I said, we have had an amazing response from resources. Local resources here are so happy to be a part of this and um, get their resources out there financially. It's been amazing. And just the love and support, the local news stations and the radio stations. And I mean, everyone that we've talked to wants to be involved. And there has been a miracle every single day, every single day, sometimes two, sometimes three. 
Give us one. We need this. We need this. What do you got? Some of the miracles? Yeah, let's hear one or two. Trying to think of some of the most recent ones. A lot of them have to do with connection. Like, you know, we'll be talking to one person and then they're like, oh, well, we know so-and-so that runs this place. And then we reach out and they're like, oh, we just heard about you. We were going to reach out to you. Like things like that, you know, that I think that, oh God, there's been so many. I'm trying to think of like something specific. A lot of, a lot of connections that you, you just, in your life, you build these relationships and connections with people. And then moments like this come up where you start to call out to those people and they show up because of the foundation that you've built with them, you know, in the past. And there's people that have gotten involved that we have had long time relationships with. They've been so instrumental in, in helping with this. And once the word kind of started getting out there and we were working so hard to reach out to other people, all of a sudden people started reaching out to us, like, which has been amazing too, because we've seen some real miracles in, in that as well. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So you are taking on a huge event. You taking on a huge, what do you want to even call it? Anytime you mix suicide, mental health, and addiction in the same sentence, that's a lot to chew on. It's a lot. My, my mission is, is similar to that, but I work addiction and it's overwhelming. So you must have a phenomenal amount of people, a phenomenal group of individuals who are spearheading and helping you. Do you have any shout outs that you would like to, you'd like to throw out there? Wendy Manring that was going to be here today. She has been like a lifeline for me. She knew Robert growing up and her dad is, is really involved in addiction recovery and was a huge supporter of Robert's um, and helper of Robert's. So she has been amazing. I, I couldn't be doing this without her a 100%. And then everyone else that's, that's on these subcommittees and I've met so many amazing people that have lost loved ones as well to suicide and um, loved ones that struggle with addiction. And that's been life-changing to see, you know, to see people like a year out, five years out, 10 years out from some of these things and to see all these people in recovery and healing and working on their recovery and their healing process has been such a restoration of like faith for me and hope. Because I think when you get with your loved one to that point of that addiction, that is just so, so bad, you do start to lose hope in recovery. So having that hope renewed by seeing people in recovery with being involved in this and seeing people that, that have found recovery in a lot of different areas, not just addiction, but with their mental illness or feeling like they were suicidal and then being able to find hope again, you know, has been huge. Brickhouse Recovery has been amazing. They have been there and so supportive from the time that they first started interacting with Robert. Is that Jason Combs, right? With, should we throw, a, throw out a, a shout out to Jason for sure? His book is amazing, Unhooked about his book is about his story and and really providing support to family members that are struggling with a loved one that that struggles with addiction. He's amazing. I mean, we just have so many people that just so many other moms and community members and 
just everyday people that have really jumped on board with this. Idaho Central Credit Union was a huge uh, financial support. We have had so many uh, BVA. Uh, oh, God, there's so many. I'm going to miss some of them, so I should, probably shouldn't list them all. But Since you said financial, what would something like this undertaking, what would you need to raise? The cost of the event is separate from like the cost of the venue. So I would say probably close to $75,000. I mean, depending on the cost of the venue, that's included in that 75000 So if you can find a venue for free, that takes a huge, huge cost off. And you're doing it at the Ford Idaho Center Arena. How many is a seat? How many, how many people can we get in there? So uh, the, the arena seats almost 10,000. So we're hoping we have about a three-fourths house open, which we can do overflow kind of behind the, behind the screen. So I think we'll be able to fit upwards of 7,000 uh, people in this arena, and we're hoping to fill it. Let's, let's feel this thing. So the date is January 5th. At 6.30 p.m., the doors open at 5.30, Fort Idaho Center Arena, free admission, no ticket required, a care package donation is welcomed, of course. And what would you want in there? Something that we can readily give to those, those in need? Yeah, so we have a list on our website. We have a website that's www.connectionisthecureidaho.org. And on that website is a list of uh, care pack items. So it's really a lot of basic toiletry items, toothbrush, deodorant, shampoo, clean pair of underwear and socks, a pen and paper, like a notebook and a pen. I feel like through my brother's recovery, writing was such a big thing for him. So I thought, you know, being able to have that. Yeah. Cell phone charger. Yep. Lotion. So that there's a list on there. And then, um, it will also have a list of local resources and then, you know, like emergency, like we have a place here called Pathways that they can do like a 24 hour voluntary hold. So resources like that, that I wish I would have known about that night that we left the hospital. And then the other thing is we're going to have a booth at the event. There's an organization called Just Serve. And at this booth, you're, you can write a handwritten note of encouragement. So each pack will include a handwritten note of encouragement. That will be the donations. Like I said, there's a list on that website, but anything's welcome. I mean, we're going to put together those packs the month of February, probably partnered with Boise State University, be able to like sort and assemble those packs and then get them distributed throughout our community. And we're going to take them to different places so places can distribute them. But also like I would love for people to be able to have one with them so that if they come across a situation or, you know, feel, uh, inspired to give one away. I, I hope that, that we can, uh, form some connections there as well. Yeah. Can we throw some Narcan in there? Naloxone, something, you know, I mean, it's crazy. I know it's sad that we're getting that way, but I'm tired of people. hundred thousand people died in 2021. And I'm going to say this openly. I think 2022, if we're not careful, if we don't have people like you, September and Wendy and all these wonderful people, we're going to have a record-breaking 200,000 year. I'm adamant. I do want to throw out a one shout out to my boy, um, Shane. Oh, yes, Shane. I need to throw that out. He, I would be remiss if I didn't give him some love. Yes. I, how could I forget? That's like this connection. That was a miracle. 
That was a cool miracle. I did a podcast with uh, Shane Larson at Game Time Guru Podcast. And when he was done with the podcast after we spoke, he texted me a couple hours later. He's like, dude, I need you to connect with this organization. Connection is the cure. It is phenomenal. Here's September's information. And I'm like, man, I want to get involved. And you know, that's how it happens is people just don't know where to start. People don't know how to get involved. It's about open your mouth. And if you don't know it, like his thing isn't opioids. He's a, uh, a game time guru, but he knows the resource. Go talk to September in Boise, Idaho. She's the And so my question to you is this, and, and I hope you've thought about this. What's next? So like I said, we want, we want to bring, I really think that early intervention piece is just so important. And uh, it is hard to take on all of these things because it's like so, so overwhelming. Like I don't doubt, unfortunately, those numbers that you're putting out there as far as overdoses go and just some of that stuff. And so I, I feel like that early intervention piece and bringing that education, I hope to be able to couple with our local school district here. I've been in touch with them and it sounds like we will be able to do that, but getting that education out to parents, like continuing to spearhead some, we've had some events like that here uh, regarding like social media and some different stuff, but more specifically the addiction, the suicide uh, signs, you know, things like that. Um, I hope to do that. And then really I want to form, help form connections for people that feel alone, you know, in the thing that they're struggling with. So if we can get, you know, these subsets of groups together, like, you know, kids that maybe are are struggling with a, a certain disability or a disease or something that they are feeling alone in being able to get a group of those kids together and once a month fund a event for them where they can go out and go bowling together or go rock climbing together and just be able to to talk about the things that they're struggling with. I think that that would be amazing. And then also there are there are a lot of great resources here in this area. So being able to partner with some of these other people that are doing good and and support them in their efforts, you know, financially or by manpower. Another really big thing for me that I I really want to be able to focus on is helping other families that are um, going through that process of addiction with their loved ones. Um, I think that that is a huge focus of mine because, and we, I had, when I talked to you a week or so ago, there's a lot of things that I've come to peace with and I have been able to come to peace with my brother's mental illness. And I've been able to come to peace with, uh, his suicide. Although those aren't the things that I wished would have happened, but this addiction piece is the most deep and it was the most traumatic, not only for him, but for his loved ones, his, his family really want to be able to learn and grow in that area to be able to help others that have family members that are struggling with addiction. It is a debilitating disease and it is a disease. And I think that's the big part. There's for me, I feel like we've run into a lot of stigma surrounding addiction, that it's a choice or a character defect, or that we just need to try harder or pray harder, or, you know, some of those things. And to really have seen what the disease of addiction does to an individual that, uh, 
Robert did try hard. He would not have chosen to stay to stay in this disease. I feel like so being able to really connect with people that are struggling with that and giving them that hope that there is hope in recovery and uh, kind of just being a support to to people that are that are struggling and being able to make those connections with people. That's a question I get often. I run groups. I work with first responders. I work with men and women battling addiction. And I always get the question, is it a disease or a choice? And it's one of those that is personal. You know, I just did a podcast. If you want to go to go back on a podcast and, and hear my opinion, clearly my opinion on it via somebody who has gone through addiction, it's provoking. It's thought provoking. But what I can say is there is a big stigma about being worthy, right? Especially in the dynamics that we we reside in. It's a word, the spiritual connection with the with the Heavenly Father. I, I understand all that, but addiction erases that. It takes our moral compass and it completely just crumbles it up and throws it out the window. And then you have to reacclimate yourself in the direction you're traveling. And so September, if there's any hope that I could provide to you, being because this is fresh, but become from an addict to your brother, he was strong. He was strong. And I can see that in his music, and I can see the way he smiles, and I can see that in his voice, that this was deep, that this was this was something that he had to carry. And what's awesome about this is not the death, but it's the direction that you're taking it. Because I see a lot of families that go through this, that have a loved one that has struggles with addiction, that has a loved one that commits suicide, and they buckle. And they just, it totally encompasses them. And they can't function, and they can't understand it. And all the hope I can give you is you're doing the right thing by just becoming educating and taking his words and spreading it. I'm going to tell you the feeling that you're going to have at this concert with Alex Boyer singing and just looking around. I invite you to take a second look around of all the men and women, children who are there that are being impacted by a decision that you made to move this forward. That's cool. Awesome. I, the whole spirit of this event as we've been planning it, you know, I've, I've told people, get on board and you will feel it. It is strong. This is something I really strongly feel like can change the trajectory for someone, you know, and just that show of support. And I think the biggest thing for me is just being able to look around and see people with more empathy and more compassion. My brother would, would often say, he would say, today, let us have compassion and allow others their limitations without judgment. And I feel like this experience has given me an opportunity to slow down and not be so caught up in everything that's going on and really think about what what really matters and what we can do as individuals. And I really think that that mindset allowed me to see that maybe doing something like this was possible and not being overwhelmed by it. I thank Robert for that. And honestly, as his addiction got deeper, there was a disconnect. And I have felt closer to him the last, you know, six, seven months than I had the last few years. And it's been amazing to see that. And and there has been an energy that has come with this uh, planning that is amazing. And it's contagious. 
contagious. So we want to throw this out one more time. Mental health and suicide awareness event. Connection is the cure. Featuring Alex Boyer. Wednesday, January 5th, 6.30 p.m. Doors open at 5.30. Fort Idaho Center Arena. Let's get there. Free admission. No ticket required. But we do want you to bring something, man. Let's go. Bring something. So we're going to kick this out. We're excited about it. Thank you so much for the invite to be there. We will be there. Um, we're, we're honored and blessed. Thank you for just being who you are. We call it Chasing the Vase. That's The name of the business is exactly named after people like you who take a dream, who take an idea, and they chase it, right? It may be for your brother. It might have been that sobriety. It might have been a marriage. It might have been to have kids. But we're always chasing something. I ask the people out there who are listening to this podcast, what are you chasing? Maybe you're going to find it January 5th at 630 when these doors open, when you get to see this concert. So we invite you to come chase the vase. Get on board. Thank you so much, September, for your time. Honestly, I can feel I can feel your spirit, and that is exactly who we need leading this program. So Connection is the cure. Where can we find more details about it? Can you give us that website one more time? Yeah, so it's www.connectionisthecureidaho.org. We also have Instagram. Uh, it's at Connection is the Cure. Connection underscore is the underscore cure. We're on Facebook, too. So, yeah, the website will have a lot of details, up-to-date details, a lot of details on the presenters, you know, and we'll have donations, uh, a contact us button if you want to reach out. And then we'll also continue to have details about, you know, putting those care packs together and then also future events. We really plan on being really active in the community after this and kind of seeing where this takes us. So we're really thankful for the opportunity. And Brock, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today and also for coming to Idaho. I think that you're just going to add a really amazing spirit, especially that night before, to connect everyone and get everyone ready for that event the next day. What an honor. I'm totally honored. Thank you for it. I appreciate you in September till January 5th. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.